You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we travel to Spain to explore that country's rich and vibrant cheese scene. We speak to Rupert Linton of Brindisa, the Spanish food importers, retailers and restaurateurs who've championed Spanish ingredients in the UK, and Maria Jose Sevilla, a Spanish food writer and broadcaster. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. This morning on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at Spanish cheeses. I'm very happy to have with me today Rupert Linton of Brindisa. Brindisa, I don't know if you know them, they are Spanish food importers, wholesalers, restaurateurs, they've got shops. Brindisa were founded by Monica Linton, Rupert's wife, in 1988. And she really has done so much to promote Spanish foods, high quality Spanish food in Britain and introduced us to so many wonderful foods from sort of charcuterie, beautiful jamón, but a nice cheese. So, Rupert, good morning. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. I was really interested because I hadn't realised that Brindisa's roots what, were actually in cheese. It was Spanish cheeses that Monica first started introducing to Britain. Yes, yes, it is. We've got, we've got a, a very old uh, photograph of Monica's first palette of cheese that arrived from, from uh, Menorca. Actually, when we're still working with the same with the same dairy, with the same cheesemaker. Wonderful. So. I mean, I wanted to, you know, I am sort of very sadly ignorant about Spanish cheese, and in fact, the, you know, I suppose for me the famous one would be manchego. But I know there's a lot more. What's your sort of paint a picture of the Spanish cheese scene for us? Well, um, at, at the moment, um, I suppose there's two different ways to look at Spanish cheese. There's there's the traditional way to look at Spanish cheese of like the different geographical regions. So you mm-hmm. could say more or less in the north of Spain, you're getting the cow's milk. There's, you know, there's more rain, it's cooler. It's more of a, a northern European ecosystem. So you get the cow's milk cheeses and and, the, and the, the blue cow's milk cheeses as well up in the mountains. In the, the central plains of, of, uh, of Spain, that's mostly where you get the sheep's milk cheeses. So it's like the Manchegos, then the other sheep's milk cheeses like the Castellanos and the Zamoranos, and also the, the thistle rennet cheeses, say the Torta del Casar, Torta de Barros, the La Retorta, the Caña Rejal, they're all themes on, on, on the same cheese. Mm-hmm. And then further south on that strip, on that more or less on that coastal strip from, say, from Gibraltar heading up east into Catalonia, then that's the area which is, you know, very broadly more popular with goats and goat, oh. and goat cheese making. And it's a, it's a more of a Mediterranean climate. And, uh, and then lastly, you've got the two groups of islands. So you've got the Balearics, and, uh, which, strangely enough, uh, do make a lot of cow's milk cheese, in spite mm. of being in the middle of the med. And uh, <laughs> the, you know, one of the ways they managed to do it is that in the summertime, the, the cows uh, pasture at night. 
when it's cooler. Oh, that's interesting. Gosh. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're oh, nocturnal. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah. not many nocturnal, uh, um, uh, you know, cheese makers anyway. Yes. And then, and then in the Canary Islands, where there they've they do everything there. They've got shit, because of the the variation in the ecosystems from sea level up to you know kind of 2000 meters at the top of the volcanoes they've got a, a massive range of ecosystems so you've got sheep goat and cows in the canaries and they really like to make uh, blended cheeses and, right. uh, and smoked cheeses as well and uh, strange enough the canaries as well it's also one of the few places in spain where they make really big cheeses so you get oh. you know eight kilo or 12 kilo cheeses there that that very rarely leave very rarely leave the islands actually how fascinating and you said there was mm. another way of looking at spanish cheese ah oh, well yes well the second way that i i think about spanish cheese is is just in time really so there's there's the traditional recipes the the, the recipes that have been passed down through the generations of farmers you know the manchego the zamorano the the roncal the idiazabal these these like kind of classic spanish cheeses but also since i suppose since the end of of, of, of franco's regime there's been a like a, a resurgence of artisan cheese, but in a, in a similar way to the resurgence of art, artisan cheese in in the UK. Yeah. Over the years, more young people have been interested in finding old recipes, recipes that disappeared during the dictatorship, when uh, um, regional cheeses were weren't appreciated at all, and, and many of them were made illegal. Yeah. And. Uh, and so these young cheesemakers, basically, there's been different stages where young people have moved back into the countryside and back into cheesemaking in a really kind of really important way. And uh, so after Franco, a lot of people you know, took over the family farms and, and modernized when Spain joined the European Union. Again, there was another big wave of modernization then and improvement in, in the technology and in the knowledge of cheesemaking. And also in... 2007 2008 during the economic crisis when so many unemployment in youth unemployment in particular in spain was devastating and a lot of people went back to the land and if if their parents or their families had you know sheep or goats mm. they transformed the raw materials they started transforming the raw materials into something more valuable into, into, into cheese That's and as they were as they were kind of a more modern generation and more exposed to the rest of Europe, they were more open to new recipes. And so in, in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, there's been, a, you know, absolute blossoming of, of uh types of cheese in Spain, you know, based on traditional recipes, but but taking them somewhere new. Which, as you say, is rather like Britain. You know, I often say to people, people are making new cheeses, but using traditional technique, it's sort of, it's crafting cheese. It's, it's an almost a sort of, rather than it being factory cheese, these are handmade cheeses or made on a small scale, looking to, yeah. you know, looking to the past, often for inspiration, but creating something new, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, yes. no, very much so. I mean, these are, are tiny dairies. I mean, for, what, what, one of the dairies that, that, that we buy from in called La Rueda, his I mean, his vat is 250 litres. So Gosh. it's him and and um, and his assistant who, you know, they milk the goats. He brings the goats, he brings the milk, you know, by hand in churns in, and, and pours it by hand into the into into the vat. I mean, it's 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 very manual, but, yeah. but at the same time, very modern. I mean, you know, completely modern the way yeah. that the way that he does it and the, you know, the, the skills that he uses. That must be fascinating for you, because I'm guessing part of your your work with Brindisi is 
is to find these cheeses and to travel around and to, I mean, obviously, sorry, now we're speaking pre-pandemic, aren't we? But in, you know, in the good days, <laughs> when you yes, move around. Before. <laughs> yes. yes, before, uh, life pre-COVID. And that must have been absolutely, you must have loved seeing sort of new cheesemakers springing up. That must have been very, very exciting for you. Yes, I mean, it's absolutely thrilling really and uh, my, my big frustration is not being able to import all of the all of the amazing cheeses that, that i find into into the uk there's, uh, there's too many yes it sounds fascinating and i had no idea it was on that scale. it's really nice to hear about the vitality as well i love that um we should perhaps think about some really iconic spanish cheeses i mean what you know so in fact that's an interesting point if you're you can only import so many not hundreds and hundreds how do you make your what are the cheeses that you do bring in and then tell us tell us about them and you know why why you've chosen them are they example you know are they classic examples of, of Spain's very famous for its blues isn't it do you have sort of iconic Spanish blue cheeses well yes the I mean the most famous of the Spanish blue cheeses is the is the Cabrales which is made in in Asturias in the Picos de Europa mountains we we get our cabrales from a, a particular affineur in in uh, in Asturias. In I suppose in Franco's time and and after that, cabrales was run as a as a cooperative. So all the cheesemakers would all well, all the cheese from from the different dairies would be consolidated in one warehouse. And so when you bought cabrales cheese, you never knew which dairy you were going to be buying it from because you just mm. got the next in, in line. And so quality was all over the place. And it was only as the do um, developed and the cooperative came to an end that we were able to to always know we were buying from the same dairy that we bought from last time and and have assurance of quality and so the the dairy that we're getting our cheese from now he, he has different different caves at different altitudes one of the requirements of the cabralist dop yes, dop yes. is de- denomination of origin yes so right. it means that the cheese can only be made in a particular area using traditional techniques that are appropriate to, to that cheese that right. are, you know, defined legally defined one of the requirements which i think is just fascinating is and uh, is that your cave which you which traditionally you know, the, the caves are where the cheeses are, are, are aged uh, has to have a, a stream running through it Gosh, because, caves are the, because they're limestone caves and so that obviously they, they're riddled with 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 cracks and mm. you know water rainwater drips through and you get you've got stalactites and stalactites and um and that's one of the requirements is is, is running water and yeah. um so depending on what cave you've got and the altitude of the cave it uh it, it helps to determine what plays a role in the quality of the cheese that you're making so the higher altitude caves tend to be a little bit cooler and will age a cheese more slowly and the lower altitude caves a little bit warmer and is that better if it's aged? Does it get more flavour if it's more slowly matured? Or? Yes. I mean, they're the ones that are, the, the, the higher the altitude, you know, the more romantic it is, basically, the story. <laughs> you know, it's greater, yes. it's better. It's a good story, yeah. isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. that is pretty exciting. Yeah. Have you yeah. visited these caves, Rupert? I've been to some. I haven't been to the, the, the highest cave where, where we get our Cabrales from. He, he takes the cheese up in a rucksack and there's no electricity yeah. there. So it's like head torches on. And then you Gosh. you kind of scramble down into this cave, and uh, with your with your kilos of cheese on your back. Um, the one the cave I visited was it was a community cave, a communal cave in 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 a village called Sotres, and uh, where all the different cheesemakers they they basically have shelves allocated to them, and and they 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 share the the facility. Amazing. 
amazing. And what, and the cave with, with Cabrales, I was thinking about, so the bluing, so this environment is absolutely intrinsic to the bluing then of, of, the, of the cheeses. Mm, yeah, well, the, the one that I saw being made in, the Cabrales I saw being made in, in Sotres uh, was a, a tiny dairy. And uh, the way that they did the bluing, because they didn't blue by adding the Roccaforti like culture to the curd, mm -hmm. and they didn't blue by, by um, piercing cheese mm. so they have a room in their dairy which is basically an annex to their to their chalet to their house and uh, so it's just like a basically looks like a normal bedroom but clean you know with with marble <laughs> floors and everything and yeah. shelves along the walls a, a, an open window with a fly screen on it and when i was there it was uh, february so there was you know snow everywhere but so the windows just open and they leave the cheeses there for about you know two to three weeks until they blue naturally from the rock of wow. that, that lives in the environment in the Picos de Europa mountains. Gosh, isn't that interesting? I mean, of course, and this, these are the, this is such a sort of rooted way, isn't it? This is how bluing would have happened, you know, before we were adding bacterial cultures to cheeses. This was, it was in the environment, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the problem would be to, to not get it in the Cabrales <laughs> yes, cheese. Yes, yes. Exactly. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that interesting? That... Gosh, that's fascinating. And we should, I think, Talk about Manchego because do, do am I would you agree with me, Rupert? Do you think it is perhaps it's very well known outside Spain? I was wondering why. Is it very popular in Spain, and is that why it's known outside Spain? Yeah, I mean, really, Manchego is you know it's the equivalent of, of cheddar to, to, right. to us in in England, and so you know it's massive in Spain. You know, I can't remember exactly, but you know it's you know eighty percent of all cheese sales and Manchego sales here. And obviously, you get a whole range of different qualities of manchego. There, in 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 Spain, the the dom the DOP, the denomination of, or of 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 origin, mm -hmm. defines manchego two kinds of manchego. So you've got like manchego, and then you have like artisan manchego. Oh, okay. And so a manchego is like the one you buy if you're on holiday in Spain, you're in the supermarket. And so it'll be a, a pasteurized uh, cheese with a paraffin rind and uh, with like, you know, a plastic rind. Right. Whereas an artisan manchego has to be raw milk and it has to have a natural rind as well, and which can be oiled or it could just be a natural, you know, dry, you know when the mold, mold dries on the rind. And, and so um, you presumably... It sounds like the massive. I mean, that is rather like cheddar, actually, isn't it? The, you know, the, in terms of the range and the, ma the mass production, and then the the farmhouse versions or the more artisan versions. Yeah, so, very so much so. So, what do you yes. think? Tell me about the sort of the, the you know the sort of craft end of Manchego. What what are, are they different? It's, it matures for quite a long time, does it? And well, it changes it, as it's matured. It, I'm guessing. So. Yes, it does. Yes. Well, it, it's one of those funny things where where although so in Manchego you get different ages, so you can get like a semi cured and a cured manchego but there's no really like clear definition of like you know semi-cured is say two to four months and cured is like you know five to nine months because Nothing people make convenient make, then people <laughs> make their cheeses in slightly different ways right. and they're at different altitudes or you know slightly so so sometimes you could get a semi-cured manchego which is five months old or you could get a cured manchego which is four months old i mean they will they won't right. be the same cheese yeah. But they'll they'll just be have a different name because of where they're made or how the cheesemakers made made the cheese. There's two ways of making a, a cured manchego. Because um, sometimes people you know, they make a, a manchego, just general manchego, and it goes through its phase. So first of all, it, as it ages, it becomes semi-cured, and then if they don't sell it or decide not to sell it, 
it ages and by default it becomes cured. But mm-hmm. some people make a, a cured manchego on purpose. So they'll when they're cutting the curds, say if a um, manchego curd is in Spain, they always compare them to legumes or grains. So oh. manchego curd might be about the size of a, of a pea or a chickpea, yeah. something like that, right. for, for a semi for a semi cured. But if you on purpose, if you are making a cured manchego, you want to remove more liquid, more moisture at the beginning. So you cut the curd down to the, the size of a lentil or a grain of rice. Right. And uh, and then then you that cheese you'd never sell that cheese as a as a semi cured you'd you'd always age it to to have like a really splendid cured manchego. Wow, fascinating. And what what so are there styles that you like of manchego? Have you got a sort of personal preference or 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 is a cheese you think oh I love it when it's doing this whatever it's doing? Is it sort of does it have a sort of nutty flavour or you know does that? Mm. I mean, what I find cured manchego from four different dairies, four or five different dairies. So each of those cured manchegos is completely different. Um, right. Well, completely different. I mean, to me, they're completely different. But <laughs> but but you know, it's not the same cheese. And then like 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 cheddars, uh, you know, they're not the same. If you have, say yes. like try a Montgomery or you know a quick Absolutely. sort of thing, they will yes, they will have their own. Because on paper they're made the nuances. same way, but they're really not. You know, which is which is the joy of cheese, isn't it? So yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but I do. I mean, for me, I mean, I suppose for me in the summertime. I quite like a semi-cured because it's a little bit lighter and uh, and, and fresher. But in, in the in the winter, when the weather gets colder, um, I'm just totally love the the cured, you know, the nice like eleven months or so, you know, cured manchegos. I mean, it's a very iconic sheep's milk cheese, isn't it? Which is what you talked about earlier about the geography, which I thought was so interesting, as a way of of understanding whether cheese. And we should talk about the thistle rennet cheeses because that is so which made me immediately think when you said that I thought of sort of hot dry plains and, and walking and sort of going ouch as I walked through the countryside because it's prickly um so yes what, yes yeah, tell, tell me about that that tradition of Spanish cheeses ah oh, well the thing about the thistle cheese is you can only really use uh sheep's milk for making a thistle cheese so oh. inside uh, the thistle when you collect uh like the the pistils of a thistle, like the, the purple, mm-hmm. you know, flowery bits. Yeah, you collect yeah. pistils, and inside the pistils, there's an enzyme. Like you know, you can you can make your own right. vegetarian rennet from 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 the pistils. Right. And so the traditional way of making it is to you harvest the that your thistles in in the spring, and then you separate out all the pistils. And, and and dry them off, and then you've got a supply through through the year. And uh, the the rennet only really works for reasons that I don't really understand. That only really works with sheep's milk cheese. Some people I've... will make a goat a, a goat's milk thistle rennet cheese, but it won't. Sheep's milk thistle rennet cheese experiences reverse proteolysis. So <laughs> okay, no... <laughs> you lost me. I'm afraid. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right. So yeah. no, normally, if you imagine, say you've got a camembert, mm-hmm. it goes soft on the outside, yeah, and then it's firm in the middle as it yeah. as it matures, yeah? yeah. So you know when you yeah. cut a camembert, it's like gooey but under the rind, yes, yeah. and firm in the middle, because yeah. that's because the the proteins breaking down from the outside in towards the centre, right? But the thing about a torta is is what happens is that the cheese breaks down in the centre. And it works its way out to ah, the rind. Okay, right. And right. so when you when you cut the lid off and you scoop out that kind of gooey centre, it's because yeah. the inside of the cheese has ripened before the outside. 
and it's right. kind of it, that's what's unique really about about a, a thistle Greenwich cheese wonderful you see in fact I, I was lucky enough to try I think it was called cremoso um, I could be wrong um, but it was yes. deli- I mean, no, it was, no 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 was def- definitely cremoso yes. right yeah. yeah yeah and it was yeah. delicious because you had to cut you know it looked you know solid and then you but when you cut the top off inside was this very sort of beautiful you know oozy loveliness of cheese but what i really liked about it was i felt like the the bitterness from the which is quite characteristic isn't it of those thistle cheese it does give a bitter note i thought it just yes. made it really interesting because instead of being totally sort of a voluptuous experience it had this little you know bracing sort of thrill of a bit you know a little touch of bitterness and it made it very a bit more complex i thought um yeah yeah, yeah. well the thing about the the, the thistle rennet is it's like making a a herbal tea so you know if you imagine you're making herbal tea at home you put your mm. chamomile you know into, into your into your mug i mean it's never the same strength so sometimes yeah. you've got like a really strong chamomile tea and sometimes it's very weak and so it's the same with the when they're adding that the the infusion of the rennet of the, of the thistle rennet right into the into the cheese is that obviously with skill you get you know more consistency but there's a lot of variation in a, in a thistle rennet cheese from like from one batch to the next and even within within <laughs> within one cheese there can be quite a lot of variation in flavor as well right. and uh, and it's because the, the thistle rennet is 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 it's not laboratory produced yeah, you know, it isn't standardised. Yes, it's depends just a, on it's a, where it's, it's grown, a the weather. Yeah, homebrew, fantastic. Gosh. Yeah. And how are, are those eaten in Spain then? It would what would be? It would, so it's what scooped out and what eaten with with bread. Uh-huh. Well, yes. So so normally um, it's a bit like choosing a melon. So you, know, you always want to have a melon which is which is ripe, which feels like it's just ready to eat, or you know you're mm-hmm. going to eat it in like one day or two days. So if you were going to your cheesemonger in Spain, you'd say, "Please can I have a, a torta." Which is the name, the Spanish name for the thistle rennet cheese? Right. They so can have my torta for for tomorrow, and then he'll palpate his oh, selection of, of tortas and say, "This one, this one, will be ready tomorrow." And then, when I take my cheese home, normally I take off the cling film because the cling film is what it keeps it together because they 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 can explode. They can kind of they kind of, <laughs> they, kind of they kind of break free. Right. Basically, yes. inside breaks free. Yeah. But I take off the cling film and yeah. and I'll leave it. Uh, definitely overnight and maybe you know for up, for up to 24 hours out of the fridge and then you with a knife you kind of cut the lid off the cheese because it's a cylindrical shape and then yeah. sometimes and we're here in London we often get a kind of like a, an Iranian bread or something that's some kind of like really lovely oh, yes. Middle Eastern flatbread and that's yep. and then you know because some of the cheeses some of those tortas will be about a kilo in size Mm. And so if you've got a party or something like that, then we all just like tuck into, oh, tuck into the cheese. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. You, yes. <laughs> I'm feeling very, <laughs> mm, this is sounding very, very tempting. What, tell Rupert, because you know so much about so many cheeses. What is the, your dream, have you got a sort of a pet or favourite Spanish cheese? Perhaps, you know, the one that's, um, that you feel people should know about and that you would love to import if you felt, you know, but perhaps, you know, I don't know, we don't know enough about it in order to buy it. You know, have, is there, does one leap to mind that you that you're cha- that you would love to champion or that you are championing? Ah, oh, well, that, I mean, there, there is a, a thistle rennet cheese from the Canary Islands that um, I quite like to bring over to the UK. And because um, most of the thistle rennet cheeses that are made in, in Spain or, or just over the border in Portugal, they're small. They're either like 100 grams or you know, up to about a kilo. But these Canary Island ones, they're, they're about the size of a, of a 12-inch pizza or, or a bit bigger. And so they're kind of, they're whopping great big things and wow. really difficult to, to transport in one piece. Yes. And uh, I, I'd love to bring 
I'd love to bring some what, of those what's, over. What's it actually. called? It's called Flor de Guia, and mm. uh, that's legendary cheese. And so can I ask you, when if it's a larger cheese like that, would it mature for longer or not necessarily? Well, what's interesting about these cheeses is that really they're... A torta is about 45 days old, so it's not a soft, it's not a, a young cheese that, 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 that is soft. Basically, yeah. it's, it goes through its phase where it's a semi-cured cheese, and then it, as it ages, then it goes soft afterwards. So right. they're, they're not, so say so you, so you had a torta de barros or torta del, del casar, it could be exactly the same age as a, as a semi-cured manchego. And a very and a similar size, but inside it'll be soft. It'll go through. It'll start off firm, and then as the proteolysis happens, the protein breaks down. It'll go. Right. It'll go soft. Wonderful. And so that you mentioned, you know, that the whoever's seen it would know what by the feel, then by the touch of which one was going to be really ready to to go. Then they it was like yes. you know, like a, yeah. Yes, I used yeah. to ask Can... my lovely secret greengrocer to, for an avocado, you know, in three days' time, and, it, and he never failed. You know, he'd feel them all and give them one to me, and it was like, oh, love it. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. And and um and, and so it's the same with these uh, with, with with the tortas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We should, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Rupert, is how hmm. Spanish cheeses are eaten because and enjoyed, you know, not just the making, but also the sort of the actual consumption. Are there, and obviously that's partly thinking about trying, I've, you know, I've sat in your, in Benicia Tapas bars and, and tried some cheeses there. And, and I suppose, you know, we, then we've got that sort of classic pairing of, you know, we often think of Membrio and Spain, the quince paste, that the Spanish quince paste, which hmm. does go, which does go really well with, with Spanish cheeses i'm guessing i mean so what tell are there sort of particular ways that you you in that you think spanish cheese can be enjoyed when people are eating them well um yeah i mean on the whole i think that um you know so if you're out in spain you're more likely to have a, a cheese as an aperitif you mm. know a, a, you know as a tapa say before yeah. a meal rather than as a cheese board afterwards although now yeah. you know as we're all in you you know you know, more, you know, more European. Obviously, in 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 Spain's very influenced by France, and and we'll have a cheese board afterwards as well. But I really like to have like different Spanish ingredients. Although so membrillo is like the classic uh, mm -hmm. uh, pairing with cheese, especially with manchego, and it does work really. It does work really well. But um, there's other other uh, ingredients that I think go really well with cheese. I mean, the the thing that I have with Every slice of Spanish cheese that I eat, with you know, on on my bread is it's olive oil, and I think oh. olive oil just brings out the flavour of Spanish cheese, you know, in in a really lovely way, like a really nice extra virgin olive oil. That's and uh, in Catalonia, there's a thing called pan pan tomate, where mm -hmm. you kind of squash a tomato onto the, onto like toasted bread and then drizzle it with olive oil and a bit of salt and pepper, and then if you put your cheese on top of that, for me that's like absolutely delicious. Mm. And uh, but the other things I think go really well with cheese are piquillo peppers, which is like a kind of like right. a, a roasted red pepper. Yeah. And I mean, I totally also sometimes I really quite like a, a an anchovy as well. I'm quite keen oh, with on, cheese. on that kind of combo. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Would you choose yeah. a sort of I mean, sweeter cheese for that then? Because you've got the very salty anchovy. Would Would you? Well, I mean, the classic combination would be like a piece of piece of manchego, like an anchovy and an olive, or something like that, all on a on a on a little stick. Ah, so it, yes. they're quite strong. I mean, they're quite strong flavours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but the the other ones that that do go really well, you're right with these, you know, like a Galician, like a tetilla, or 
some of those like kind of mild and northern cow's milk cheeses can be absolutely delicious as well with uh, um, with an anchovy. There's there's a, a cheese called the called a, a massimo, an Asturian cheese from a dairy called uh, Recilo. And the massimo with an anchovy is, you know, divine, absolutely divine. Oh, <laughs> yes, that's sounding. And in fact, we've also, um, we did a programme about what goes with cheese. And one of the things that came up was honey and cheese. And that is a lovely mm. combination. And if you've got, and often honey is very good with, with blue cheese, isn't it? Is that something that would be, would that be a pairing that you think would work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really like, yes, like a an orange blossom honey or a... Um, uh an oak honey as well there's a forest honey that that that, that, um, that we have which is really delicious with uh with say like a cabralis or something like that and mm. uh i mean i really love the the pairing that i love with those um northern blue cheeses is, is muscatel raisins ah those are wonderful beautiful. yes gosh yeah because they, they're kind I of sweet the, but... the, yes they've got well the, yes it's quite a complex sweetness isn't it um yeah muscatel raisin. yeah yeah, yeah, and, and often people notes. recommend like a, a slightly sweeter sherry as well with those with those uh, northern blues as well, like a, a Pedro Jimenez or something like that. Uh, yes, yeah, Montillado or something. Yes, this is making me feel very um, nostalgic for the days when I could <laughs> when I could travel and go to Spain and eat these wonderful things. What about cooking? Do in are the cheeses because we'd mentioned that sort of cheddar analogy between manchego. Is it used in cooking or is it just mm. is cheese eaten as cheese you know as a table cheese rather than cooked with? It, it's it's much more more normally you you just eat it by itself you know as, as, as a cheese but there are a few kind of really nice tapas that you can make with cheese there's a there's a, a one from Menorca where you get the the uh, the cow's milk cheese from Mahon and you mm -hmm. have so your piece of toast and there's a, a product called sobrasada which is like a kind of spreadable chorizo so it's a you know, spicy pork um, yeah. uh, paste really so toast sobrasada Mahon cheese and then mm -hmm. honey drizzled on top and then you stick oh. it under the grill and uh, and that's that's pretty tasty yeah and um yes and then the other thing with with the, with the experimental you know menus that you get in these in these very fashionable yes. Spanish restaurants yes, quite. there's there's they, they, i have i have had some very nice um blue cheese ice cream actually Oh. It's really. Uh, I've had had blue cheese ice cream, which has been a little bit too strong. Yeah. And uh, but but when it's kind of you know when there's a, just a tiny amount of blue cheese, it can yeah. be, it can be pretty good, pretty tasty. No, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, that's so. In yes, and you have that lovely that sort of ice cream texture and then that flavour. That is like a good combination. I mean, of course, you know, mm. in, we should. Yeah, it's so right that you mentioned this whole innovative side of Spanish cuisine, which is absolutely out there isn't it and having wonderful i was lucky enough to go to the basque country and eat some wonderful food um yeah both very traditional and then very sort of cutting edge and playful and you know all those things that you yeah very sort of yeah. witty food um yeah. yeah i mean it just seems very sort of vibrant so i'm so pleased that you so the cheeses then sort of reflect that in a way from what you were telling me Yes, they do. I mean, there's a recipe I've got, which I'm planning to make one day, which is for, for cheese profiteroles with a kind, oh. of, you know, with a, with a, with a kind of goat's cheese filling rather than, yeah. a, you know, it's a savoury a savory profiterole. Yes. Which, which well, that sounds, sounds nice. Well, so with the yeah. soft, a soft cheese filling then. Yeah, that yeah. sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was wonderful. Well, 
Rupert, that's been so a real pleasure to talk to you. You've really transported me <laughs> to Spain and made me oh, sort good. of happy and wistful good. at the same time. But um, yes, I shall have to. Um, I have to. Yes, I can imagine you must be yearning to get back there. But I shall come and and visit Brindisi instead. I think to get my my little fix of Spain. So um, thank you for for taking the time to join us today. It's been lovely. No, thank you for giving me the chance to speak about Spanish cheese. I can tell how much you love it. Really wonderful. Thank you, Rupert. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches, using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard Sourdough Crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. Before we go on exploring the world of cheese, here's news of another Food FM programme that I think you'd really enjoy. Thank you, Jenny. Well, I'm David, the host of The Drinking Hour here on Food FM. Each week we explore the wonderful world of wine, spirits and beer all things that make wonderful pairings with cheese, of course. We hear from those for whom making drinks is a passion. So after your cheese course, how about you join me for a few drinks? You can find The Drinking Hour with David Kermode on your usual podcast platform and at foodfmradio.com. Now it's back to Jenny and a slice of cheese. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard Sourdough Crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. This morning on A Slice of Cheese, I'm very happy to have with me today Marie-José Sevilla, who is a food writer, the author of a book called Delicioso, which is history of Spanish food, and for many years was head of food and wine from Spain. Good morning, Marie-José. Good morning to you, Jenny. And you're obviously perfectly placed to, you know, to tell us about Spanish food. And also we can explore its, you know, its relationship with Britain, which would be really fascinating. I mean, Spanish cheeses, Marie-José, you know, I realise I I know shamefully little about them, but I'm gathering there's a sort of real rich diversity of cheeses in Spain. Uh, They are. They are more than, we we keep saying, there are more than a hundred cheeses. I'm sure that there is more now thanks to young cheesemakers, which they do miracles with some of the traditions that we thought uh, we lost it. Um, but we haven't. So very exciting, the, the world of cheeses in Spain at the moment. That's wonderful. I mean, I, I love it when you hear, you know, a, a vibrancy. I mean, it's that fascinating relationship in tradition. And so what are, what are some of the sort of classic, iconic cheeses in Spain? Perhaps we start there with the sort of the history and that's and presumably shaped by the geography of Spain very, very much. Well, you see, if you move, you always have to be in mind that Spain has two worlds. The world of the north, which is green, affected by the Cantabrian sierras, and the world of the south, which is incredibly dry and affected by Africa. Or the world of the Mediterranean cheeses, which are very Mediterranean from Catalonia to uh, to, to the, the South Mediterranean. So with that is perhaps the number one thing because that is going to establish which sort of animals you have there. 
And in Spain, we have a percentage of the green Spain, which you have um, uh, cows and you have mm -hmm. uh, sheep. But you come south and you have, and in the Canary Islands, we will talk about the islands because I think the cheeses of the Canary Islands and the Balearic Islands are very interesting and very delicious. So mm -hmm. then, of course, the south is full of goats. And this is really the majority of the best cheeses in the south, in Andalusia, which I just uh, come back a couple of days ago. The majority oh. of the cheeses we eat are goat. So with that in mind, and without entering too much into geography and all that, what we have is a huge percentage of cheeses in Spain are produced in a quarter north of the country. The center is where you produce all these manchegos and all these type of eaves, and also the merina, which is absolutely wonderful. The manchega and the merina breeds, they are in the center part of Spain. And then you come to the very south and you have all this wonderful goat. But the percentage is so high in the north that perhaps 70% of all the cheeses in Spain are produced in the north. Hmm. 60 or 70, I could be slightly wrong, but, but that percentage, that huge percentage. A lot, yeah. So what, you have, yeah. so what you have is if you divide Spain like that and you have main areas of production, you find yourself with, in the north-west, um, you find Galicia, yeah, the, the Galicia, yep. the Celtic mm -hmm. Galicia. And you have about three or four uh, very interesting cheeses. They are very creamy, full of fat and uh, wonderful and very artisan in the majority of the cases. I used to buy these cheeses in the market of Santiago de Compostela, which oh. unfortunately the ladies have disappeared, but it was a, a little market just dedicated to the cheeses, oh, um, wonderful. which I've, I filmed a long time ago. Anyway, so uh, you have Galicia, followed by, if you're moving towards the east, followed by Asturias. Asturias, of course, is where you find Cabrales, many different cheeses, but they are mm -hmm. mostly cow's milk. Right. And of course, the climate here it's very different. It rains a lot. You have beautiful patches. So therefore, your breeds of cows are very happy. And then again, Santander, which is Cantabria, which is the next one, with another mm -hmm. number of cheeses. And then you come to the Basque country. And that is with Idiazabal, oh. or Idiazabal, comes across. And wonderful. Tell me about that. Feather, That's such a wonderful name. Idiazabal, right. Idiazabal, yes. I encounter seriously Idiazabal uh, when I was filming Spain on a plate a long time ago for the BBC. Hmm. And, and we filmed a wonderful man who lived in, in the mountains all by himself making this wonderful Idiazabal. He was a shepherd in the old-fashioned style of Spanish shepherds. Because you got to remember that in Spain, the life of winter and summer is very different around the mountains with the different animals. Because, of course, there is this huge emigration to the pastures in summer and down mm -hmm. to the pastures in winter. So this yeah. shepherd, I found with this shepherd absolutely everything. But he had been making cheese forever, his father, his grandfather. And he probably thought that he might have been at the end of his career. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't, because mm. one of his children decided to even improve the cheeses of his grandfather. So, so, yeah, so 
you have to imagine these wonderful valleys, this particular valley, which was called the Va El Valle del Aralar, was amazing. It was one of those places mm. that a moment will be heavy thunder. And you think, oh my God. And the following day will be beautiful sunshine. And the colors are so different. It's the, the part of Spain with people less known. And this is mm. where the best, or some of the best cheeses of Spain are produced. Wonderful. That sounds very atmospheric. So then you again, I think you were heading east, Maria Jose, were you? From Asturias, where, where were you headed to next on our journey? If I follow uh, east, I mm -hmm. find Navarra. Navarra and of course the Pyrenees. And in Navarra, um, there is again one or two, there is a wonderful cheese called Roncal, which is from a valley. You know, the Pyrenees, uh, you can, is, they have these big tiers, which is valleys they enter in, more into Spain and they lose mm -hmm. the altitude. There you have these valleys producing this roncal, which is an Eve's uh, milk, raw milk. Mm -hmm. uh, the best, of course, is unpasteurized. They do more unpasteurized now, which is good, oh, good. as well. That is good. Yeah, it's good. Brilliant. It's more and more unpasteurized. It's a serio cheese. It's a hard cheese. But it's utterly delicious. And this is the cheese, together with Idiazabal, um, I was going to mention and I almost forgotten. Idiazabal um, also is a very important part of the cider tasting. In the winter, ah, yeah. in the Basque Country and in Asturias, they open the cider houses at the end of, I think it's at the end of December or beginning of January. Mm. And then it's interesting how People go there to drink cider and to eat. They taste some of the food, and or they take their own food, or they take food to put in the grill. The dinner, or, or, or whatever what you call it, because yeah, it's a yeah. very unusual dinner, is always followed by idiazabal, a little bit of queen's paste, and some walnuts. Oh, lovely. And yeah. so there is a lot of um, tradition in with all these areas with big cheeses there is also this connection in, in history and in tradition, which still is alive as it was wonderful a long time ago, which is lovely. So if we go south, move south into what is called the Mesetas, the Altiplano of Spain, which is a big section of the country, which is normally about 600 meters above sea level, that is the kingdom of the, of the Eves. And, and that you have many cheeses, similar type of cheeses, similar type of manchego. And right, so you know, all sheep's depends milk. right, yeah. Yeah, it's all uh, Eve's milk. And yeah. they, they have this, again, they made the more beautiful artisan, they make in a way, they were hundreds of years ago, they made it in the same way. And this is, you know, as they also improve the techniques, um, by combining modernity and tradition, but on a faithful way. What you mm. have in now is these quality cheeses, which are very much uh, loved by, not just by Spaniards, but by other people. And of course, this is the kingdom of, of the Manchego cheese, which you can find everywhere which, now. Yes, which is, I think it must be Spain's most famous cheese i'm guessing it's certainly it the is. cheese that i had you know knew of the most yeah because yeah. you're such a wonderful cook maria well, what uh, do you um only 
do with it? Only a few days ago, I posted. Well, I am. I know. I Instagram. Yes, I so know. I, yes, join the join the crew. <laughs> so. I try to do try to do a recipe or something every day. And a few days ago, I had this wonderful uh, aubergines. You know the aubergines; they are half white, half yes. uh, purple, Beautiful. which I think they are wonderful. So I basically I roast the aubergine, roast the aubergine, cut with the skin into slices, and then grated lots of manchego and mm -hmm. pour this delicious honey that is produced oh, very close yes. to where I live in Andalusia. And that right. on the grill, on the grill, is delicious. Yep. But I do that all kinds of things wonderful. with manchego, you know, all kinds of things with manchego, not only with manchego. But of course, manchego yep. is, high quality manchego is now very available here. As there are other cheeses that I will mention you. Now, you mentioned the islands earlier on. Tell me about the cheeses there. This, that sounds, it sounds like they're very interesting. Well, there is, uh, in the Balearic Islands, the story is wonderful. In the Balearic Islands, it was not any cows. But the British, in, in the wars with France and Britain in, in Spain in the, in the 17th, 18th century, um, the British introduced the Frisia into Menorca. Oh, right. And for the first time, Spain had, in the islands, they had a cow's milk cheese, which is Maon. It's called Maon, ah, like the yep. Maon. And believe me, it's utterly, utterly delicious. And when it becomes old, but never decrepit, um, it tastes, the, it tastes um, the, the, the shape and flavor of a Mediterranean pure cheese type type of, um, you know, the, the Italian grated cheese, the, the Parmigiano. Mm. Oh, yes, um, yeah. But it's delicious. I, I like them when it's a little younger than that. But, but yeah. they are wonderful story. On the other hand, in the, Balea in the Canary Islands, of course, you don't have any pastures. Definitely not. And it's very uh, African. It's very, uh, one way is African and one way is kind of tropical. But what you get, again, is all these wonderful goats everywhere. And mm. with these goats, they make, in every island, they make a different cheese. And I love one called Majorero, which is, again, is quite large. You don't think it's goat cheese. Um, I used to describe this cheese as the cheese that uh, British people li uh, like. The people who don't like uh, goat cheese, they like the Canary <laughs> Island cheese uh, uh, because it's very different. Yes. And it takes, yes. and the goats, of course, they feed in all these amazing herbs. So what you have is these flavors in the cheese, mm. which sometimes they paint the cheese with, with, with pimenton and they're completely yeah. red. Um, sometimes yes. they, they, they cover with something called gofio, which is a, a type of corn meal. But it's very characteristic of the Canary Islands. But they're still using the best they can from the land and the animals, and then trying to improve 
in the, like, this is very similar to what happened in Spain with wine. That's you know? wonderful. I mean, having listened to what you've told me and, and this wonderful sort of pictures of place, how, how are Spanish cheeses being received outside of Spain? Because it sounds it's a very vibrant tradition, live and well there. Are people outside Spain, in Britain, are we discovering Spanish cheeses? You're very well placed to tell us because of your work with Foods and Wines of Spain. Yeah. Well, it's, it has been a very slowly and it's still not a, 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 what I will call a successful story. Spain is trying hard to introduce the cheeses, not only from wonderful producers, no, sorry, for wonderful importers, one or two magical importers of Spain in the UK, but also from the Spanish government who try very hard to promote some of the cheeses. But we face, at the beginning, we did face enormous difficulties. Festival, they're very expensive cheeses, and they are totally, oh. or they were totally unknown. So price and lack of knowledge affects any trading whatsoever. Mm. So uh, with that in hand, because also bear in mind that the production of milk is very limited in the majority of areas. What is very dry areas, you get very little milk per animal. So the, the expensive cheese, that's why the, the, the cheese become also so expensive. The second yeah. thing, of course, is that we try and try festival to position five main cheeses of Spain. Tetilla, Cabrales, Idiazabal, Manchego, and Majorero from the Canary Islands. And, no, six, and Maon from the Balearics. Uh -huh. right. And we found ourselves that within a year, the majority of the cheeses had, with the exception, of course, of Manchego, had almost disappeared. Almost, because a number of importers, early uh, lovers of Spanish food, were doing fantastic jobs. I'm not going to give you names, because I never do. Yeah, but, no, no, um, no Yeah, I'm sure you, you know who they are. But these people yeah. were bringing those cheeses and more. And they were mm -hmm. giving tasties to the chefs and to uh, particularly the specialist shops. Were the mm. beginning to have manchego, but also they will have one or two more and more. And these days, in the specialist shops, and where is where people are prepared to pay a little more, you will find three, four or five Spanish cheeses. And you find Spanish cheeses and something which has become fashionable, with, of course, is Queen's Paste. Yes, very. Queen's very so true. Yeah. Yes, Membrio, yeah. You know, so, so this combination of things. So, again, Spanish cheeses with Queen's Paste, with walnuts, with things like that are quite original. Yes, with a lot of seeds. I, you know, I put them in, I decorate my table with seeds and then I put little pieces of cheeses and that. And during the meal, they eat it all. Aha, uh -huh, how lovely. That sounds Which delicious. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure everyone who comes to your house must eat incredibly well, having seen your beautiful pictures on Insta. That's been a wonderful journey. Thank you so much because you've really taken me on a journey. And it's so lovely to hear your, your memories as well as your, as your knowledge. Oh. So that was lovely. Thank you so much for coming well, on the show. Thank you. Thank you. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.